Welcome to the Pulse of the Prairies podcast, brought to you by Saskatchewan Pulse Growers. Each month, this podcast tackles the topics that are important to pulse crop farmers, including market opportunities for your crop, market access and trade policy developments, innovative agronomic approaches, transportation for Canadian crops, and a whole lot more. My name is Sherry Lynn Phelps, and I'm the Agronomy Manager with Saskatchewan Pulse Growers. Today, I will be chatting with Dr. Sean Sharp, Research Scientist with Agriculture and Agri-Food Canada in Saskatoon. Sean's research focus is weed science, and today we'll be talking about integrated weed management strategies and the many ways you can mitigate weeds in your pulse crops. Thank you for joining us today, Sean. Thank you for having me. It's always a pleasure. So we're going to dive right into those questions. So the first question is around weed competition and critical weed-free periods. We know that pulse crops are often poor competitors against weeds, and in-crop weed control is one of the biggest challenges for growers. Can you talk about how important timing of weed control is when the crop is less competitive, such as with pulse crops? Yep. The timing of weed control measures is incredibly important. All crops have a critical period for weed control. And it's basically a proverbial window in a critical part of the life cycle of that plant. Um, typically, there's two parts to it. So after emergence, the crop can tolerate competition with weeds up until a point. And typically, that point is when weeds start to grow aggressively. And that's when you want to start to have your control strategies in place. And that's known as the critical timing for weed removal. And the end of the window is the critical weed-free period. And this is typically, although not always, aligned to canopy closure of that crop. Now, I did look across the various pulses, and there are instances where it expands beyond that to to flowering or to harvest. So it's a bit species-specific. And with these competition dynamics, they are species-specific. So how a wild oat plant competes with the crop, it may be different from how kosher competes or a wild mustard, et cetera. So it's more of a general principle than a specific narrow interpretation. So what you're saying is they're kind of different for each pulse crop. Yeah, and that there's yeah. Kind of two two different parts. So when we're talking about in-crop herbicide applications, which of those critical periods does that mostly pertain to, or is it really covering both? It's typically covering both as it's a window in the timeline of the crop where you don't want to have weeds. So probably more towards the beginning because you want to get them out early and hopefully catch enough of them so that it's maintained free until it passes that critical point and you won't have irrevocable loss of yield. Okay. So early weed control important with pulses. Yeah. Um, you know, takes into consideration those weed-free periods and hopefully maximizes your yield. So besides herbicide application, are there ways growers can increase the competitiveness of the crop? Uh, yeah. Control? So I find it helpful to consider the aspects which plants will compete with. So light, water, and nutrients. And I also like to consider space. And canopy closure is kind of the overarching part of that for space, because once the crop is able to capture that space, it's going to capture the light. Uh, It's also going to prevent light from evaporating moisture from the soil. And so that's a very important consideration, and it's going to help stunt the weeds that are going to be emerging after that crop is able to close over and occupy that space. So are there agronomics that can impact the canopy closure then? Yeah. So 
with the pulses, inoculants are important. And I was reading that granular fertilizers can impact the inoculants. So it it's recommended to have them banded either to the side of the seed or below the seed. And I would say that as far as space considerations, having resources directly below the seed so that it's able to capture it early in its growth is going to be an important consideration as well. The timings of plantings are important. As it's starting to warm up, you will want to wait until you can promote rapid germination and emergence from the ground. So typically, as the soils are warming up past four or five degrees, um, and this is also going to be important with pre-emergence herbicides because you want the crop to emerge quickly through the pre-emergence herbicides as well. You can also use a delayed seeding approach. You let some of the weeds emerge and then you use a burn down herbicide to control them and then seed after that. And then you can also use your pre-emergence herbicides then um, to control weeds after it emerges. And then cultivars are also important. Um, you can pick the immunotolerant varieties and that way you're able to use your group two chemistry in crop. Uh, plant heights are important as they're going to be able to capture light and space. This is particularly important for peas. And then although it hasn't been studied here, in Italy, it has been shown that a larger size of seed is important as it promotes a more quick establishment of the crop uh, to compete with the weeds. Awesome. So there's a number of different agronomic things that growers can be thinking about as they're getting closer to seeding um, between, you know, variety choice, looking at your herbicide application, uh, managing nutrients to make sure that, you know, they're separate from the inoculants, but available to help those plants grow. Um, what about seeding rates? Could that be something that also impacts competition and pulses? Yes, definitely. Um, so from Organic production, it has been shown that increasing the seeding rates um, can help promote increased yields um, when you aren't using a herbicide by um, stunting the, the biomass of the weeds as they're growing. And you're looking at probably, um, I was reading on Saskatchewan's organic recommendations through the province, and they say uh, 20 to 50% increases in seeding rates can help with competition with weeds. Awesome. So a number of things that growers can think about as they're planning for, for seeding, trying to increase that competition. So it really reduces the reliance on the activity of the herbicides to some degree, but also helps them compete with weeds. So let's switch gears a little bit and move on to kind of soil residual herbicides. Um, when we're using herbicides for weed management, there are soil residual products available for use with pulses. Can you explain how these products work and what realistic expectations growers should have when using these soil-applied products? Sure. So overall, with these products, they are applied to the soil with the purpose of preventing or killing weeds as they emerge. And they typically don't have a lot of control on weeds that are emerged already. So they're an important part of herbicide resistance management, as well as preventing the evolution of herbicide resistance by promoting additional modes of action, as well as using a different way to kill the plants. That is, instead of using a chemical that you're applying on the vegetation of the plant, you are putting something on the soil that's going to interact with those seedlings as soon as they're emerging. So for expectations overall, you're still going to need a burn down herbicide. Um, as I mentioned, these products aren't going to control weeds that are emerged. Just with some of them, they will only control small seeded annuals 
Um, so wild oat in particular, where it has a larger seed, can get a little further into the soil profile or has more resources in that seed to push through the pre-emergence herbicide. So because we're in a no-till system, with these herbicides, as they're applied, I like to think of it as a wall in the soil. And typically, we want to have the weeds be competitive enough so that the environmentals aren't going to impact them. So what I mean by that is that if there are environmental conditions that are going to cause them stress to the weeds so that they aren't growing as effectively, it's going to impact the residual timeline of control with that product. And akin to that, if it's cold and wet, your crop may take longer to come through that wall or that layer of herbicide, and it's going to capture or interact with it more and then you will have more injury. There are two different types of products and I'm grouping them by the way in which they have to be incorporated. So all of them have to be incorporated and it's either going to be harrowing or a mechanical incorporation or it has to be incorporated with water, either from rainfall or irrigation. So we have the group three chemistry, EDGE or Ethafluralin, and these herbicides stop the plants from growing at the cellular level, so they impede mitosis. So with this herbicide, you will not see the weeds emerge from the soil typically. So if there's any that are emerged, it's not going to be as effective. So again, you will need to use a burn-down herbicide prior to seeding. We also have the group A chemistry, uh, which is Trilate or Avidex. Um, this is registered in peas. It's mainly used to control wild oat, and it's going to impact how the plants are able to produce fatty acids and lipids. And this works because with the plants, they need a cuticle to prevent water from evaporating from them. So if they're not able to form that, then they dry out in the soil and they're not able to emerge. And it also impacts how a cell is able to divide um, based on the availability of those lipids. And the third major group is going to be our group 14 and group 15 tank mixes, which is Fierce or Flumioxazin and Peroxisulfone, or Authority Supreme, which is going to be Sulfentrazone and Peroxisulfone. And I've, I've grouped these together because they come as a tank mix first off. And in that tank mix, I find that it does have an increased spectra of control, and it's also two modes of action. So with the group 14 chemicals, they impact how a plant is able to harvest light, and they stop the formation of chlorophyll at an intermediate step so that as light is absorbed, it's not able to be passed along. And instead, it's produced as a, a free radical, and those are never good in cells, and it's going to move around the plant and damage the insides of that plant and then eventually kill it. Whereas with the group 15, they are going to impede lipids again, but in a different mode of action. Um, they are very long chain fatty acid inhibitors, and they're going to impact how the plant is able to divide, particularly in the soil, and roots won't be able to move as far. So when you're using these herbicides, you may see the plants come out of the ground, but after the light hits them, particularly with the broad leaves, it will then kill them. Whereas with the grasses, it should be more of a limited emergence. Okay, so you're talking mainly, you got, we got a number of different groups, so different products and classes of products that were um, are available for pulses. When would you say is the best time to apply these products in the spring? 
Um, you talked about soil disturbance influencing these products. So there's always, you know, discussion, is it better to apply these before seeding or do you wait till after seeding? Um, does the seeding, you know, the, the methods of seeding influence sort of the effectiveness of some of the, the herbicides? Um, do you have any comments on that? Yeah. So with our group A chemistry or Avidex, as well as our group three chemistry edge, where they have harrowing incorporation, I wouldn't be as concerned, but you will probably need to apply them prior to seeding just because you can have some timelines where it may take time between application and harrowing, and you don't want to risk getting too far into post-seeding towards crop emergence. With the group 14 chemistry, with Authority Supreme on the label, it does talk about if you don't get enough rain, you can till to promote um, mixing in the soil. So I think it will tolerate a bit. I didn't see that warning with flumioxazin or Fierce. So that one, I might be a little more conservative with and putting it out post-seeding. But with all of these, I would say the clock starts to run after you put it on the soil. And for some of them, there are fall applications, whereas most of them are going to be in the spring. So I would say you probably want to get them in as close to seeding as possible. And that way it'll promote their activity post-emergence and then into the crop, into that critical weed-free period. Awesome. So we can use these products to try and, you know, extend that, that level of of weed control. Have you seen where it's reduced the reliance of in-crop herbicides or improved the effectiveness of some of the in-crop herbicides when you use them in that layering approach in combination with residual products? Yeah, I have seen it when I was in Florida. We had used flumioxazin pre followed by clopyrrolid post in strawberries and it did do a good job at controlling weeds early on so that the later emerging weeds weren't as able to compete with the crop. So it does happen. I think here on the prairies where we have issues with moisture, it's going to be a little more hit and miss. So if you don't get enough moisture early season for the group 14s, it may not be as effective. You probably still will need a post-emergence control. It's just a matter of it's going to be earlier or later. And it depends on how the spectra of that herbicide is going to overlap with the weeds that you have. So it's going to take some site-specific management to pull that out a little bit. Okay. So with the... the herbicide, residual herbicides, you mentioned water for activation. What happens if you don't get that water? Do they disappear or does it just delay their activity? Well, yeah, it's not going to vanish. Most of these herbicides are going to be broken down in the soil by microbes. So they also need water to be able to act on those herbicides and break them down. So it's not that they're not going to persist. It's that they're not going to be available to the weeds as they're emerging. So and after they escape and if they're growing, it will probably will not control them. There will be a bit of translocation, but if those plants get bigger, it may not be enough to control them. And the weeds might have more of an established root system to be able to capture water that doesn't have the herbicide in it. And therefore it won't be as effective. So you may need to use an in-crop herbicide to kind of hold you over until you get enough moisture to activate that herbicide. Because yeah, it's not going to control the weeds that have emerged. So there's a bit of a fine art to 
having, you know, real success with, with uh, residual herbicides and, and the environment has to be on your side a bit too. And in, in, in terms of at least some moisture to move them in and activate from what you're saying. So, mm. um, so, so let's move on to alternative weed control strategies. Uh, we often talk about rotations for mitigating diseases, but can rotations be used to help manage weeds? What would be some considerations when looking at planning rotations that may help with weed management in the years pulses are growing? I would say I would look at having canola prior to the pulses. As in canola production, there are a lot of broad spectrum post-emergence herbicides that can be applied in that system, and it's going to control a broad array of weeds, and that way you can get the weed pressures down before going in and then probably follow it with a cereal, either oats or wheat or barley. And as well, if you're having issues with volunteer canola going in, based on models that I've seen, they have a fairly early emergence pattern akin to kochia. So it'll depend on the specific cultivar that you grew, but you should be able to use a broad spectrum herbicide uh, to control those prior to seeding pulses. So being able to control volunteers in the pulse year is, is important when choosing your crop prior to pulses. Mm. Um, yeah, I think that's it. That's, that's a good, good recommendation uh, going forward. Um, so organic growers do not have herbicides to rely on. Are there strategies that we can adapt from the organic systems to help mitigate weeds? Yeah, I would say prevention is a huge mark for them using clean and certified seed if it's available to the producers. And that way you are not introducing a problem into your field that you may not have had or you're escalating an issue that you are already dealing with. And on top of that, it's still important to scout and know the weeds that you have in your fields and where they're occurring. And that way you can employ more patch management strategies either on the field edges or around sloughs and fence lines to kind of keep those weeds down. Sanitation is another important aspect. And while I realize with conventional production, gale is a bit of a limiting factor. If you're dealing with areas that are particularly weedy, it may be important to go in and power wash your combines, for example, particularly because that's when a lot of the weed seed is going to be in the system and have the opportunity to move around. Rotation selection is important. We see over there a lot more talk about winter annuals and they are beneficial because as you're moving into the cropping season, they were already emerged last season and can get up and growing very rapidly and compete with those early emerging weeds. It does prevent the opportunities for burn down chemistry, post-emergence, but pre-emergence of the crop, obviously, but it does create an additional way in which the crop is competing and then picking additional rotational species that are competitive against the weeds. So if you have a really weedy field instead of wheat, you could go with barley, for example, which has been shown to be more competitive with wild oat. And as you're picking them, it's important to consider plants that are going to grow higher or taller, as well as plants that are going to be able to, to close canopy faster. So those kind of considerations are very important. And then we had already talked about rates of seeding, but of course, that's also important, as well as row spacing. I didn't see a whole lot online 
about current work on that. So I'd recommend probably scouting your field and just observing how the crop is closing. And if there's any room for having a narrower um, gap between the rows, and this can also help offset increased rates of seeding as well, sort of a, a synergy there. But it's going to depend on what you're seeing in the field, of course. Okay, thank you. So we've talked about herbicides, we've talked about agronomics um, in crop, sort of before the crop's growing. Now let's talk about what we can do to sort of manage weed seed shed. So this is kind of getting towards the end of the season and dealing with weeds that have gotten out of hand and, and possibly going to seed in the fall. I think of the big kosher plants we often see later in the season that are dwarfing those little lentil plants out there and, and what are some things that guys can do. Um, so is there anything that can be done at the end of the season to help reduce weed seed shed and that seed going back into the fields? Like can growers go out and mow these patches or is there other solutions and when's a good time to do it? At the end of the season, a lot of the weeds are going to be producing a seed. So I would say in ideal timing to start mowing, for example, is going to be just prior to that. So as the weeds are are starting to flower is likely a good time to get out and try to, to mow them down. It's going to be a little easier if they're patchy and on the field edges like kosher is, especially if you don't have much of a crop in there to start with because it is allelopathic, so it's going to prevent crop establishment. So you can either go in and mow it or go in and till it. But particularly if you're going to do spot tillage, do it earlier because if you're doing it late in the season post-harvest, it could be just planting the weeds, which is not going to be very effective. If you can pull that to, to the edge of the field where you could employ more of a broad spectrum herbicide, that is advantageous and it's going to pull that weeds kind of out and away from the crop in the next season. For harvest weed seed control, there has been quite a bit of work now out of Australia and it's starting to build here as well. Dr. Brian Tideman has been working on it in Alberta and it's a seed destructor that either attaches to the back of the combine or it's a cage mill that's pulled by the combine and the chaff goes in and it grinds up the chaff and the weed seed into a fine powder and then it's sent back into the field and is very effective on all of the types of chaff um, pea barley and canola were tested and across all three it showed a fairly consistent effect of weed control past 95 percent and i did see that there were some older types of, of harvesters called mcleod harvesters where they'll actually capture the chaff and if that's possible particularly in weedy fields then it can be deposited on the edge where you have more options for herbicides or tillage or things of that nature. And then there, it, there is the opportunity to do chaff lining or tram lining where the chaff, instead of it being taken out of the field or destroyed and left in the field, it's actually left in the field, but in a narrow row. And then it, it's kind of buried with chaff in the hopes that it's going to prevent emergence as well as keep the area where those weeds are going to emerge to a minimum. So tram lining goes into the wheel wells in the field, whereas chaff lining is put in between the stubble. So it's kind of where is it going proximally to where the crops are growing. Interesting. It's nice to see some, you know, new ways of 
managing sort of the the weed seeds themselves. Um, it used to be years and years ago, everybody had livestock and would collect the chaff and feed them through the cows. <laughs> but, you know, I think there's there's areas where maybe that is, can still be utilized. Uh, but, you know, the other option now is looking at some of these equipment or different methods um, mm. within the field. Um, any comments on the use of harvest aids, such as Reglon or glyphosate, and whether they actually reduce the viability of the seeds or just really help with the dry down? Those products are mostly going to be used to help with the dry down of the crop, as well as of any annual weeds that are in the crop. And with glyphosate, it will control your perennial weeds, but that's, that is where it's most effective. If you're trying to stop the weeds from producing seed, you would need to stress that plant before it has produced that seed. I did see one study where they were spraying it on wild oats. This is glyphosate. And at about one week after anthesis, so after the wild oats plants started to flower, it was effective. But after two weeks plus, it was no longer effective to get 100% control. And that is such a narrow window and it's going to be a huge moving target. And with how adaptable that weed is, I would suspect it won't be effective for very long if we start to employ it that way, just because, you know, the plant is already producing seeds. So, you know, it's not that we have to kill a plant. Now we have all of that seed that's on it that has to be controlled as well. So that's a huge pressure on that herbicide. And it's just such a moving target to try to hit. I think it's not going to be very effective. So it's not something I would recommend as a primary use pattern. You know, we have a lot of different weeds in our field. So, you know, there's definitely the opportunity that it may act on them, but it's not going to be a strategy that's going to bring you long-term results. Okay. Well, thank you. So we've covered a lot of topics and a lot of questions here. Thank you very much. Um, just to kind of summarize and see if you have, you know, additional comments. Um, we've talked about the timing of weed control and how important it is to make sure you're timing the weed control to take advantage of crop competition and, and maximize yields. Also looking at ways of increasing crop competitiveness by using agronomics, variety choice, um, various things like seeding rates, um, row spacings, and then also using soil residual products and what you know our realistic expectations with those are. And then finally, once we have weeds at the end of the season, what are some options we can do to sort of minimize some of the seed shed? Is there anything else that you would like to add to our discussion here today? I think I'll just add that, you know, it has to be a whole season approach. So you will still need a burn down herbicide to apply preceding. If you're using a pre-emergence residual herbicide, that can go out, but you still will want to plan a post-emergence herbicide in case there's, you know, any issues with incorporation or if the environmentals are not helping and it's, you know, it's too hot or it's too cool and things aren't working well, that you will have that option. And the most effective technique that I have seen for, for weed management is going to be to get canopy closure. So anything that can be done to promote canopy closure is going to be excellent. And hopefully, if you can get canopy closure early enough, you may not need that post-emergence herbicide, but it's good to have it on deck in case it is needed. But with the pre-emergence control and then canopy closure, it's kind of the goal to kind of 
not have to use that. But with all the things that can go wrong, it's good still to have that on deck and to clean up what is left in the field during that season. But it doesn't have to do all of the heavy lifting. And therefore, it may not break quite as easily. Awesome. Well, thank you again, Sean, for joining us today and sharing your weed knowledge and some of the tools that growers can use on their own farms to mitigate weeds in their crops and help protect their pulse crop yields. For more information about weed management and pulses, we have some great production resources under the resources tab on the sasspulse.com website. Sean has also spoken on this topic in our recent Premier Pulse virtual series, so look for that recorded webinar under the media section of the resources tab. Speaking of the Premier Pulse virtual series, we have one session left dedicated to lentils, which is being held on March 23rd. Coincidentally, Sean will be speaking on weed management in lentils during this event. You still have time to register for the session, so visit the events page at sasspulse.com to register yourself. Thank you to everyone for tuning into this podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the Pulse of the Prairies podcast on Spotify, iTunes, and Google Play Store.